kid. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Eisenberg, and I am here with my good friend Patrick Jones uh, from the Patrick Jones Podcast. It has been such a pleasure knowing Patrick over the last, you know, three plus years, watching him grow his podcast. He recently finished recording episode 250, so almost five years of going after it. And I, I think I've known you for more than half of that journey. You've also gone ahead and you've coached in the professional organizations. You've coached at high school level. You're a private coach. Lately, you've been spending a lot of time interviewing travel ball organizations and college coaches to talk about college recruiting. So there's a lot I want to talk to you about today. But one of, the, one of the things I really want to bring up, and I think there's some very parallel pieces to the story in your journey and what you know my son Sammy has gone through, which is people not believing in you, right? And not letting uh, someone else's opinion of you judge or, or influence your own self-worth. Because I remember years ago, people questioning, what does Patrick know about hitting and blah, blah, blah. I had commented that you were just such a great student. And of course, about three years ago, Sammy tried out for his high school team, didn't make it, and turned out to be a blessing in disguise. So let's talk about that. Why do you think being doubted is such a blessing in disguise? Well, first off, I appreciate you having me on on your podcast. I'm excited to do this. And Brian, I know we, like you said, we've been friends for a few years now. It's been crazy how you know it's already been you know several years we've known each other because it, it doesn't necessarily feel that long. But I'd say for me, like being doubted, I think you're always looking for you know something to keep you going, keep you hungry. And I think being doubted can can help with that, right? And I. You know, it's kind of going back to, you know, before we started recording, we, we talked about dealing with failure and, you know, telling players that too. But I think as a coach or as a person, learning how to deal with people not believing in you or how to deal with, with failure in that regard is extremely important too. I mean, for me growing up, I, uh, I was very lucky in the sense that my mom, uh, you know, who, you know, did very does very well for a living I always had everything that I needed or wanted but I remember one specific time uh, I came home and I wasn't happy and I think I think what it, I actually what ended up happening was there was some girl I liked and she told me that she wasn't interested and so I was disappointed and I told this to my mom and she she was you know she always just stayed pretty calm and she was like I'm glad and she went on to say, she's like, I don't want everything to be easy for you because if everything's easy for you, then you, you don't, you don't want to appreciate it. You won't make changes. You won't grow. And so like, I'm, I'm glad that this happened. And I hope this isn't the last time that you deal with rejection um, just because I know it's in the long term, it's going to make you better. And so I've always, I think back to that moment, a lot of times with my mom and, and you know, whether it's coaching or business or whatever it is. And I, I just view it as, as a good thing, as a learning opportunity and growth opportunity when people don't believe in you or maybe, you know, overlook you or whatever it is, uh, just because I, I know what's on the other side of that. And that's usually my best. Yeah, adversity is a great lesson. And, and it's like, you know, I, I think it was, uh, was it Muhammad Ali who said, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you get punched. It only matters how many times you get back up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
And, and I think that's one of the key things, you know, I've taken away from you. It's, you know, when, when you first started the podcast, um, you know, people didn't know how, you know, how good you are. And, you know, you've recently hired a podcast coach or you're going on episode 250. Your, 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 your numbers are, are growing exponentially. I mean, you've really, you've really come a long way on the podcasting side, but also on the, on the baseball professional side. And I think there's, there's some parallels for the parents and student athletes listening here in terms of that consistency, because you deliver a podcast every week, you work on your craft every week you work on your communication every day with athletes what what is it that drives you to keep trying to be better that hopefully people listening to this can can take home and put in their pocket and be like yeah that's that's what i needed to help me get to that next level for me you know oftentimes you think when we think about how fast time goes and and getting older and, and for some people it's that that's depressing but for me it's exciting it's exciting because i know the older i get the better i'm going to get too because i know i'm pushing myself and i'm continuing to grow and get better so i can't wait for five years out ten years out to see how good i'm gonna be because i know that every single day uh you know i'm giving whatever 100 percent of whatever i have that day and i think the other part of, of it too is there's going to be, I, I understand that there's going to be days that I don't feel like doing anything, you know, or, you know, I mean, as a human being, there's days, you know, you just, you don't feel good. You you're sad or whatever it is. And obviously that's not every day, hopefully, but I think it's accepting of those feelings too, and not fighting that and just understanding that that's part of being a human. You're not going to want to necessarily grow every single day, but if you do understand that, not everyone feels is going to feel great all the time. It's going to allow you to push through and be like, Hey, I'm just like everybody else. We always have bad days. But for me, if you're, if you're not growing, you're dying in everything you do. And I think that that's one of the reasons that that burnout happens and, and whatever, whatever you're doing for a living is you just continue doing the same thing every single day. So I think I'm always looking to get better, always looking to to grow in any capacity that that I can. And and it's fun. It's fun to get better. It's fun to grow and it's fun to learn. And and sometimes, you know, learning isn't necessarily just reading a book. It's it's taking action too. I think that's a, a great way to to learn is be able to experiment and start, you know, a new podcast. And maybe the the episodes aren't very good early on, but you took action and over time you learn and you grow and you get better. So that's that's for me why why it is uh, it's so important to continue to, to grow and get better. Now you know a lot of people listening may not know that you know you you started the idea for your podcast back when you were still playing. Um, you know it, it grew out of there. Knowing what you know now, and you know you you were on Sammy's podcast about three years ago when you know he was thirteen years old, um, and uh, that that makes you by the way the first person on on this feed to have both been interviewed by Sammy and by my, and by me now that I've taken it over for him. Um, what would you tell other athletes about the benefits of whether it's podcasting or journaling in any other way to get their ideas, to uh, interview people, to explore, what would you tell them today about it? I would say it was, it was maybe it's just starting out from like a podcasting standpoint. I mean, the, you know, I've done over 250 episodes. That's 200, you know, I've had a couple of reoccurring guests, but that I think, well, now I'm over 250 episodes. So I've had 250 people that 
I didn't know. And now I know, you know, we've had a, a, an hour long conversation. And so that opens up a, a network of people and, and those people open up another network of other people too, within, you know, what, you know, the industry that I'm in. So from a networking standpoint, it's, it's huge. I mean, to be able to, you know, we've all heard it. It's, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, so being able to bounce ideas off, off of different coaches who at the professional college, high school level, all that stuff is, is extremely important. And so I would say like, that's one benefit Two is the communication piece. I mean, learning how to, to speak in front of people, a microphone, you know, interviewing somebody, being interviewed, that's extremely important. You can take a, a, you know, a skill like that pretty much everywhere. So I would say like, that's the second piece of it. And I think the, the third piece is, you, you know, you'll continue to, to grow um, when you just continue, when you start doing things, like I mentioned before, taking action is, is so important too. So I think for me, it is, it, you got to be careful, especially if you're an athlete, because there's going to be people out there saying stuff to you. And if you say, if you say something back, then there's, it seems like there's always somebody waiting to take a screenshot and, and for it to go viral. But if you can kind of ignore that noise and just focus on, um, you know, you and yourself and, and growing as a person or as an athlete, um, I think, you know, those are some of the benefits that can be, you know, really beneficial towards you. Something you said just really triggered me. So this 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 past weekend, Sammy, um, uh, he's been umpiring for the last couple of years at like the local rec league. But this this past weekend, he uh, he umpired for a uh, tournament company, and uh, of course, it, it had to be the first weekend. It was about a hundred degrees here, literally in Austin, Texas. And uh, Saturday he goes seven games. Uh, Sunday he went five games and then he had to get ready because he had to go to his own practice. And afterwards he told me, first of all, he has a new, like he, he always had a huge respect for umpires, right. And especially, you know, when, as umpiring on his own, but for tournament ones that have to do all these games, he says he has a whole new respect for, for, for the type of, uh, of, of commitment it is because, you know, here he's out there trying to hydrate nonstop, but he's still he's cramping and, you know, he ended up getting a foul tip off of him. But what really struck me more than anything, because I, I was there kind of just to, you know, help him out as he needed and stuff like that, refilling ice, you know, the middle of the tournament. And, and, I'm, and I'm watching some of the games and, and I'm parent watching. And there were two organizations, three organizations that, that stuck out to me. One of them, I actually sent a note to the owner of the organization because to see, I, I saw a second one of his teams show up um, and I saw his parents and the way they behaved, the way they respected everybody and the other team and, and the classiness of the organization. And so it, this is the Austin Sun Devils and they were fantastic. It's like, this is the type of thing and I've heard it from the college coaches, like those are the kinds of parents we want our kids coming from. But then on the other side, and I won't name names, okay, there was one organization where the coaches nonstop were arguing and bickering and chattering just terribly about any little detail in the game. The strike zone was off a little bit. The tag was like, like you know, but he slid so well, like just crazy stuff. And it's just like, but that has nothing to do with the game. And they're teaching kids 
obviously the, the, the you know like you can make an excuse for anything and they don't they don't realize this and then another team they're they they lost in the semifinals they, they you know they'd driven a whole bunch of, of miles you know from far away to get to this tournament and Sammy has to go and he has to get the uh, scorecard signed and get the last pitch counts and stuff like that and one of the parents refused to give him the pitch count from the last inning because they had lost and he kept on going to their side most of the time, but then only went to the other side. And they were just being petty over this. It was, biz- it was bizarre. Okay. And I understand they were upset first, you know, the coach never looked at all the kids. They walked all the errors they made, you know, they want to blame the umpire, not the whole point. The bigger point is something that you and I have, t- have talked about beforehand and it involves recruiting, but also involves trying to find good organizations to have your kids develop in. How do you find those organizations? How do you background check to make sure they're focused in on the right pieces of development? They're not constantly giving your kids excuses. They're not coming out there with, with poor attitudes. Um, how, how do parents do that? I mean, it's, it's, it's struggle. Yeah, it is. It's, it's hard. First off, that's, you know, that's number one, I would say, a if you know, you know, a lot of it's, it is word of mouth, a lot of it is, but I would say if you could too, I would actually just go in and if there's a specific organization or team you're thinking about potentially joining, if you could just go and watch a game, and just show up and just watch and not even, you know, say anything or have them even know you're there and just kind of just see what it's what it what they're like on a day to day basis, you know, what's a regular game going to be like, I'd say that's probably the best way to go about it, because then you get to see them in action, and on how they you know communicate with the players and what, what the players are, how they are on the field and how the coaches are with the umpires and parents and, and all that. So I would say actually going to a game would be my, the biggest piece of advice that I would, I would give. Um, Cause I'm sure you'll be able to tell a lot or a practice or whatever it may be. So I would say word of mouth would probably be the first one just because, you know, parents talk and, and things like that. I mean, I think you gotta be a little bit careful there because it just depends who's giving you the information. I mean, they may have uh, their own agenda at play for playing time or whatever it is. So, you know, maybe word of mouth, but also if you can, I mean, I shoot, I try to go to a practice or go to a game with that team that you know, you're thinking about trying to join. Yeah. With, in, in practices, usually you need permission to, to do that, but games, you could literally go to, um, you know, a, a weekend tournament, and just quietly sit in the stands and, and, yeah. and like, I have, you know, like, you know, I'm there to watch Sammy, but I'm, but I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention to the interactions of the parents of, you know, who's coaching. I mean, you know, every little story you can imagine every, every stereotype of the dad yelling at his kid at the end of the game. Yep. Saw that like, just everything. It, it, it's all there. If, if you're willing to go there and just be ears and just, and just really pay attention. Well, I think the other thing too, I mean, it depends on the age, but, I would just have your your son or daughter, whoever, I mean, reach out to some of those players. I mean, with social media and kind of get their experience of, of being on the team and if they like it and and what's it like. Cause I mean, the players know firsthand um, you know, what it's like to be on that, be on on that team or in that organization. So I think actually reaching out to some of those players, having your son reach out to some of those players is another way to to find out too. So, but, but let's, let's bring that back for a moment, because I think there's a key, key piece of that. Part of what keeps a lot of players on a lot of those teams is fear, mm-hmm. right? They made a team. They're afraid they may not make another team. 
Um, you know, the team's got a great reputation. You know, they've committed so many people, even though it's not necessarily that team, but maybe it's the organization. How, how do parents get past that fear? Because I think that, I think the concern is if I don't get onto a particular brand name team or whatever, my kid's not going to make it to that next level. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, it's important to play on a good team. I don't want to definitely don't want to downplay that because, you know, you're going to be in good in, in, in good tournaments and, you know, winning games and being around other good players. That's very, very important too. But I would say the, the other thing is, you know, and I, and I've had a lot of college coaches on my podcast recently talk about recruiting. It's pretty rare for a college coach to just go to a game, just to go to a game and not, not have an agenda of, of who he's going to actually go and watch play. So uh, I think you need to have somebody who's out there, like getting your name out there or, you know, sending your information to coaches to actually get them to come watch you play if they are, if they're interested. So there's, there's, you know, playing on a good team is important. No question about that, but uh, don't just think, I mean, unless you're one of the best players in the country, it's going to be hard like, just to be found. I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of players out there and only three coaches per, per D1 staff can actually go out and recruit and they can't be everywhere at once. So they're not just going picking just random games. They're going there to see specific players. So I think you know, being on a good travel team, yes, of course, that's important. But you also need to have somebody who is out there who is helping get your name out there to get those coaches to come watch you play and have interest in you um, because it's so easy to be overlooked. And let, let's face it, Brian, uh, you could, I could go to a, a game and a kid have you know one bad game, right? And maybe I'm there to see – another kid well obviously if, if i'm there to see another kid and you know and your son has a bad game i'm not going to write him down right but he maybe he's a really good player but how would i necessarily know that unless someone was was telling me that or giving me more information so i would say like, you know those those would be the two things is you know yes it is important to be on a good travel team but it's not the end all be all you need to have someone who has connections to college coaches to help gauge that interest too yeah, it, it, it definitely doesn't hurt. Like, for example, the organization that, you know, Sammy plays for, um, you know, he's been at it for 16 years and 95% of the kids that have gone through his program have gone on to play in college or have signed professional contracts. So, you know, he's, he's got a big database of, of people who respect him. And, you know, when, you know, they call him and say, hey, you know, what can you tell me about Sammy? He can tell them, here's how he competes. Here's how, you know, here, here's where I think he's going to be in a couple of years. Here's, here's what it looks like. Cause obviously there, he can also see where he works out and stuff. So it, it makes a difference. Let's, let's touch on that for a minute. Cause you know, obviously you're sitting right in front of your hit tracks there. And I know, you know, a lot of kids think, you know, that, that what's going to get their, their uh, college coach's attention is, you know, maybe they're putting up some big numbers on hit tracks. Um, and, and, you know, we both love hit tracks, obviously, but do, do college coaches actually care what the numbers are in the hit tracks what, what's catching their attention well i think that what what they're looking at is what what's the potential of the player if i if there's a player who can hit a baseball over 100 miles an hour okay like he's got you know he's there's you know he's got a, got a tool there potentially and so yeah that does help but then the next thing is like okay like well does it play in the game does he consistently hit barrels with it so it, it is important just as a measuring tool to see like how big their engine is. 
but I don't, I wouldn't say that they're, you know, obsessing over it. They just, and it, you know, the difference between a kid who maxes out at 97 versus a hundred, I, I can't imagine that's a big difference. They college coaches can be like, Oh, I'm not going to go see the kid who only hit 97 versus kid hundred. Cause they're also looking at movement, right? Their mechanics of their swing. Do they think that's going to play out? Um, you know, they're looking at their, their body type, right? Are they completely filled out or are they still, is there still room to grow and develop into their, into their body? So it, they, they will look at what the potential could be, you know, do they have some strength there, especially when you start facing better pitching, you're facing harder pitching. So you got to have some strength to be able to catch up to, to, um, you know, higher velocity. So I think that's the main thing that they're looking for. But after that, then they, then we start getting into, you know, more important things, right? Like, does he actually, is he actually a hitter? Does he make adjustments? Does he have an approach? Does he, you know, all these other things that are so important, so, but it is, you know, you have to have that first piece for some schools to even look at the next one. Cause if you, you can have the greatest approach in the world, if you're swinging a wet newspaper, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's more like a check mark. Like, you right. know, if you've got it great, if you, but if you still can't hit in, in you know, in a game, it's irrelevant. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, let's go here. You have in the last few years coached in professional organization. You've been a high school coach as we start earlier. Um, you've also been spending a lot of time, like you said, interviewing college coaches, and you've also spent a lot of time um, looking at some travel organizations and interviewing some of the people who are responsible for them, like the, the guy from um, uh, the U.S. Elite this past week and his, and his 12 commandments, which I can't tell you how many times I've heard those same things from Keith and, you know, how important it is for those families to get that. So absolutely. Those are, those are key messages. And I think any parent who's in a travel organization, whose organization is not telling them those things, that should be a red flag for them to begin with. So make sure they go listen to that. But here's my question for you. Over these last two, three years that you've gone like this whole cycle of up, down, and you, you, you've kind of seen everything from youth to, to, to pro, Two things. How does development look differently in a professional organization? How do they think about it compared to how the typical parent looks about it? And what's changed for, for in your opinion, over the last two or three years? I would say uh, that's, that's a good, good, very good question. I'd say patience is something that depending on the organization. And I, I would say parents don't have necessarily as much patience just because they, they and, and players too at, at the younger levels, because they want it right now. They don't, they just don't know. They don't know how long it truly takes, you know, development takes and, and why you don't need to just rush to make changes after one bad, uh, you know, weekend or whatever it is. And, you know, for example, like there's it, it, and another thing, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. So there is a player who I won't name names, but he hit very well last year. Um, a little bit of a funky mechanics type of a thing, but he hit well last year. And so he started using, a, you know, some, some different technology over, over the offseason. And so he changed his swing to base it around some of these numbers on this piece of tech. And so his swing looks better based on these metrics, but he's not hitting in the game. And so then you start to wonder, okay, well, maybe those funky mechanics – 
and that, you know, that little, the hitch he had made him who he is, but because we're in this era where it's like, Oh, we got to be great right now. This second, we start making all these changes right away. And so I see that a lot more at the youth level and at the professional level, professional level is it's unique in the sense that everyone, I, I guess I might want to better watch what I say here, but <laughs> it, it we're among friends. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of voices at the professional level, right? I mean, at the, in the private side, for example, like it's just me and the player and me and the parent and the player, the professional side, there's a lot of people involved coming in, watching on a day-to-day basis. And so I just, I took the approach at the pro level of, of, of letting players know that, you know, showing them that I don't have any agenda, right? I'm not trying to change them just to change them. I want them to own who they are. Because I think if they own who they are and, and is, can become their own best hitting coach, I think that's going to take them uh, to their, their highest level that they possibly can be at. So I would say that's part of it. Just There's a lot of just voices at the, at the pro game, I would say, is, is the big thing. And, um, you know, I, and then it's also you get into like the political side of, you know, if a player makes changes or plays well, you know, trying getting credit for that. And it's just – I'm just not a fan of that. To be honest, I think more than anything else, we we're there to help the player. We're there to, to, to be there if they, if they need help or if they want someone to talk to, but it's just hard for me to get on board with saying that, you know, I made so-and-so a great hitter or I helped them or whatever it is, you know, we did some drill in the cage and now they're hitting well. And, you know, I should get the credit. That's just not how it works. I just don't believe that. I've never believed that. Never will believe that. Uh, it comes down. It is the player. If the player does well, hey, the player should get the credit. If he doesn't do well, then you can put the blame on me. Like I'll take it, you know, because you know I'm the coach. But I'm just. I just don't believe in in taking credit and when when it's the the player should be the player is and always should be the show. Period. I, I love that you say that. I don't know if you see the. It's not super clear the map behind me. Yep, I see it was it, given yep. to me. It was given to me by my mentor Roy Williams, right? Who, who I wrote my book Be Like Amazon with, and it's a map he found in Australia, and I keep it on my wall behind me for one main purpose. It's to show the world is always looks different from a different perspective, right? And the job of a great coach is just that: is to reflect back perspective to that player perspective from your experience perspective from being outside of their own body right you can you can see different things that they can't unfortunately right but it's still the same landmass it doesn't change yes it, coaching it, it's it's all about timing i think i think the really good coaches oh. they understand that they they read body language what the thing is to be a, a, a very like a really really good coach in my opinion like you got to have some emotional intelligence you know, I think the self-awareness piece is huge, but I also think it's important to learn from some of these coaches who've been, who've been doing this for 30 years too. And, and that can help you with, with the timing aspect of when you go about delivering something to a player and, you know, letting them come to you and not just always trying to just throw more and more and more stuff in their face. It's, I mean, there's an art to it. There really is problem is, and this is, in my opinion, it's a, it's a problem. It's not a problem for me, but I think it's a problem because you can't quantify it. So organizations, they don't know how to necessarily evaluate certain coaches because you can't quantify 
the art of coaching, much like you can't quantify the mental side of the game, even though it is the, it's the most important part of it as a, from a player standpoint too. So, but it, it you know, it is what it is. I, I, I enjoy, for me, I enjoy learning from uh, experienced coaches, coaches who've been doing it a long, long time. Uh, I, I don't know any coach who can't break down a swing. You can just go on online and see that, but uh, you know, there's a lot of coaches who, who don't understand, uh, you know, what, what it takes to really help a player, truly help a player, get them to, to learn how they think best, how they work best, you know, get them have their own plan and approach at the plate. It's, it's very difficult, especially when you're talking about doing that in a team environment and not just one-on-one, there's not just one way to go about it. And so I think having humility is extremely important. And, and the last thing is Brian, you know, you, you hear, everyone always says the right thing right? Like even right now for me, like I'm saying all the right things, but it comes down to what I actually do. And so, you know, you can, everyone can, anyone can say that, you know, the right stuff, but it comes down to just action as Marshawn Lynch would say, it's all about that action boss. <laughs> that, that's a hundred percent true. The, the biggest challenge I think that kids struggle with today is where they focus in that action. And I kind of want to leave, you know, leave us here with, with kind of you answering this. Uh, and, and you did an episode on this, but I'm, I'm going to ask you if you, you know, maybe you have some revised thought on this. You know, uh, you, you don't have any kids yet, right? But if you had a kid and you had to help them and guide them and do whatever it took to help them get to the college level, like, you know, uh, and, and, and you've been in the game. Obviously, I had to do this kind of from the, the outside, what, what would you do? What would you do that, that most parents probably aren't doing today? Ooh, so like starting when, when he was a young kid? Yeah. I, I, we wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't focus very much on mechanics. I'd want him to, to just try to just swing hard at a young age and build the engine, have fun. Like if he comes to me and wants me and ask questions or whatever, then I'll answer him. But I'm, I'm not going to go, you know, dragging him out to the field or anything like that. Like, I'm just going to let him kind of just take the reins. And if, if he wants it and wants me to go throw, I'll go throw as long as he wants. But I want him to, to just fall in love with the game first. Because if you don't love the game, then you're not going to last. I can promise you that. So I would do that as, as a young kid and, and start just doing basic movement patterns with them, just different things that help build that foundation for when he starts lifting weights. And then, you know, the older he gets, you know, then we can start lifting those weights and getting stronger. And same thing, I'm not going to talk a ton about mechanics with him. It's it's more so, you know, the older he gets, it's more, will be more so about approach and and, you know, game planning and, and things like that. And uh, of course, if there's things that pop up with, you know, mechanics, then, then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I think so many times kids have mechanical flaws because of, of bad coaching at younger ages. I think a lot of times if we just let kids be and just let them swing hard, even if that means that they fail at times, I think in the long run, they'll move better because the older they get, if they don't have those good foundational movement patterns, it is so hard to change them. So that's what I would do. And then the older that they would get, you know, I, I want them, I would want them to start trying to hit breaking balls a lot at a young age, because I know what ends up happening. What separates hitters isn't, can you hit a ball hundred miles an hour or 97 miles an hour off of hit tracks? It's, can you lay off that nasty slider? 
And so that pitch recognition becomes so important. So the, the approach piece, the pitch recognition piece, you know, the swing decisions, all that stuff is that's what separates guys the higher up that they get. And then lastly, it's 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 just you know making sure that he's in a place where he can he can have fun and he can enjoy the game and love the game and know that me like I'm his dad first. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to my dad the other day and he was like, you know, you can be either a, a dad or be a coach, but you can't be both. And so I think that's important to, to note too, where I would always be there for my kid, but I, you know, I, I, there's, there's a fine line, right. You know, after a bad game or whatever, like I'm not, I'm not talking to him on the car, car ride home about the game. Cause I know having now coached in professional baseball, how many good players at times look, look awful at, at, in, during games. And guess what? They come back. It's okay. The more, the more you get on top of them and the more you're like, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? The longer they stay in that hole. So understanding that how important patience is would be the last thing too. And, and how this, you got to play the long game in, in hitting and in baseball, even, even if you're like, well, I got to get a scholarship because next year is my senior year or whatever. And we got to go now, now. Yeah. You, you need to work with a sense of urgency, but also display patience too, because starting to panic, you know, the kid feels that and, and they start to panic too. And I can promise you, he's not going to feel, he's not going to be able to perform at his best. So those would be a, a few of the things is more than anything else though. I, I would just want him to enjoy the moments of, of me and him working together, playing together. Uh, the, some of the greatest memories I have growing up and, and just in general in my baseball life are just my dad and I going to the park together and just playing in him, just throw me, hit me fly balls and throwing to me. And, you know, I have, I have a stepdad too. He was unfortunately disabled, but shoot, man, I, I remember when he, when I was seven years old, he was, he'd be in a wheelchair and he would try to play catch with me too. Like, I, obviously I'm th over 30 now, but I, I never forget that. I never forget mm -hmm. that, you know? And so I think those are the, those, the, that's what's most important more than anything else. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Make, uh, you're make me tear up here in a minute, but that's, a, that's okay. You know, the, uh, our good friend, Joe would not, would not think we had a good conversation if we didn't have a little laughter, a little, right. little tears. So, right. so we're there, but yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> It's funny because as I do my podcast, you know, I, I'm staring out at my, my garage is like right there. And um, I, I rem I'll never forget the day Sammy hit a ball. Um, it was a lot, uh, you know, a jugs ball, 78 miles an hour is like the hardest he's ever hit it. Line drive right into the glass light. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just crushed the ball. Like it was like the, the hardest he's ever hit. And it's like, yeah, those memories. It's like, I have not fixed that light because I want him to, re to remember it. Like when we sell the house, I'll fix that light. But every single time we go out that door, I want him to remember that great feeling he had of, I mean, I was trying to get him out and he smashed that ball. Right. And those little things matter. It's the little moments. It's not the, what we think are the big moments and parents just take it for granted. And it, it does. It goes by so fast when, when Sammy had, you know, had you on the podcast, he was a little kid. He was 13 years old. Yeah, yeah. He was 13 years old. The other day um, I was on a zoom call with, with Alan Yeager and he hasn't seen Sammy also in about three years uh, at ABCA. And, you know, we, we both stood back there and he looked at Sammy. He's like, he's not a young boy anymore. He's, he's a man, you know, he's going off to college, you know, in a year. And it's like, 
it goes by really quickly. And I hope more than anything, parents realize the day in, the day out, the, the, the determination, the grit, the people not, you know, not believing in him. Being there to support them, that's the greatest gift that you can give your kids. 100%. Yeah, 100%. I, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to get knocked down. I mean, there's going to be times when you fail. And, uh, you know, I'll give you another story real quick. Uh, about my stepdad again but you know my parents were divorced when I was like one or two years old and I remember I was staying with my mom at the time and she was um, dating somebody who would she ended up being my stepdad and at the time but he was disabled so even at the time so he had he had a cane and then anywhere long long distance he had it was a wheelchair and so there'd be times he would he would fall down you know he would fall down and so I as a kid I think I was I must have been six years old and so every night before I would go to bed, you know, I would tell her like all the reasons that you can't marry Tim. And I, and I remember one night I said, you know, but, but he falls down all the time. You know, you can't marry him because I wanted my parents to get back together like any kid. Of course. And, and I'll never forget what she said. And this is, I was six years old. And I still vividly remember this. She goes, yes, he falls down, but what does he do every time he falls down? He gets back up. And so I think that's something that I, I will always remember where when I do get knocked down, when people don't think I can do something, when I fail or whatever, I, I will always remember that. And that became a thing, you know, throughout my childhood, because there was a lot more times he would fall down and a lot more times he'd get back up, too. And so I, I will always remember that. Um, and, you know, nothing to do with baseball, but it has everything to do with life and, and it helps with baseball, too. That's exactly it. And we can bring it right full circle, right? Yep. doesn't matter how many times you fall down, as long as you keep fighting to get back up. Yep. Patrick, thank you so much. Where can uh, people find you? Of course, I told them they have to listen to your podcast. I think it's become one of the, the must-listen-to baseball development podcasts for sure. Um, and, of course, where can they find you on social media? So I'm at P Jones baseball on all social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, you know, Patrick Jones, is my website. Um, but yeah, you feel free to just DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I'll get back with you, but I appreciate everything that you're doing for the game, Brian, and, and this podcast and, you know, a lot of the content that you're putting out on the, on the, even just the recruiting side and getting some of that, that information out. I think it's huge. And I know you're not doing it to make any, any money or anything like that. You're just doing it just because you want to get good information out and, and help more kids. Cause you saw what, you know, Sammy went through and, and you want more parents to, to just be educated throughout the process so they can enjoy the, the process because of how, how, you know, quickly it goes. So appreciate everything that you're doing. And, uh, I, you know, I can't believe we've already known each other over three years, but uh, it's been a lot of fun and, and look forward to continuing our relationship. Absolutely. And hopefully by, by you know, three years from now, my podcast is as big as yours. So <laughs> I'm sure probably, probably be bigger, probably be bigger. <laughs> we'll see. Thank you so much.